You are listening to a rebroadcast from Radio 2050's archive featuring author Jaime Cortez, who talks about his graphic novel Sexile from August 2004. Enjoy. You are in tune to another installment of Radio 2050, the intersection of Latino arts and politics, and I'm your host today, DJ Aztec Parrot. And in studio, we have with us today one of the more familiar guests here at Rider 2050, Jaime Cortez, who's a writer and illustrator of a new publication entitled Sexile. And I want to welcome you back to Rider 2050 for the umpteenth time. Well, it's good to be, to be back here in the familiar surroundings <laughs> here in the Ed McMahon honorary seat. <laughs> I love having you here as a guest. It's always good to be here. The one thing that I always hear about Jaime Cortez, it always amazes me, is that you venture yet into another form of art. You're making the whole plethora around there, the cornucopia of all the artistic mediums. The pornucopia in this case. <laughs> the pornucopia. <laughs> and now you've wound up with a graphic novel. Yeah, doing this novel has been truly fabulous. I, I am an artist who has always worked in a multidisciplinary way, and Doing this graphic novel has really pulled on everything I, I know how to do. Everything from writing to researching to taking personal histories, illustration, the whole bit. So it really stretched me in all my kind of abilities. So it was a great challenge and a, and a great experience. Maybe in a, in a nutshell, maybe you can explain Sexile and the main character. Sure. Sexile, I like to call it, perhaps self-flatteringly, I like to call it a gender saga. And it's the story of Adela Vasquez, who is a really remarkable person. Uh, Adela Vasquez arrived in the United States in 1980 during the Mariel Boatlift from Cuba and has been a transgender activist and HIV educator in Los Angeles and San Francisco. She has an amazing story, and I was so thrilled to be able to bring that story out in this publication, which was sponsored by the Institute for Gay Men's Health, which is a joint project of AIDS Project Los Angeles and the Gay Men's Health Crisis. It's a graphic novel, and it's also designed as a public health tool. So it's kind of talking about public health by talking about a complicated lived life. You, know, you had described the life of Adela Vasquez as trans-everything transnational, transgender, transformative, and fully transfixing. Her story just seems to be of just an incredible journey. How were you able to capture her story? I worked with Adela doing taped interviews, and I would just ask her about her life. And in the end, trying to form the graphic novel out of that story was really about how do you deal with an embarrassment of riches because so many amazing incidents, anecdotes, observations that she had, it, it was really mind-blowing. What a remarkable life Adela has had, a really courageous, crazy, messed up, wonderful life. And so I had a, a, a ridiculous wealth of options. The task was trying to narrow it down to what I thought would best give a sense of, of this life and what would best serve the ends of this graphic novel. Where, where does the story begin? We start in November of 1958 at the dawn of the Cuban Revolution. And in the opening line of the story, we say, not to brag, but my birth was revolutionary. Mm -hmm. And I think that really sets the tone of the story, of the humor in it 
and also uh, the sense of a person whose life has been caught up in great historical moments, whether that was the Cuban Revolution or later in, in 1980 during the Mariel Boatlift when 125,000 Cuban men, women, and children crossed the Caribbean to Florida and then to arrive in the United States just at the dawn again of the AIDS crisis and of a time when transgender consciousness was really just developed in this country in many ways. And so it's almost like she surfed all of these incredible historical moments, and that's what's uh, so gripping to me. It's, it's like a Forrest Gump for big people. Mm-hmm. You had talked about this interviewing process and capturing your portions of her life. How did you transcribe that into the book? Was it, is it strictly her voice? Is it a collaboration? How did you arrive at that? The voice was something I really worked very hard on because when you ask someone for their story, obviously you want to do right by them and give a sense of who they are in it. But it's also an artistic production, so my kind of sensibility is also at work in there. And then again, because this is about a public health message couched within this amazing life of hers, I had to factor in and develop the voice. Fortunately, Adela has a wonderfully distinct voice in the world. She's very salty, she's very funny, she's very for real. And so those were my guidelines to just kind of keep that spirit of of truthfulness and real raw honesty and great humor and courage. She's a performer, is that correct? She has not performed for a while, but there was a good long stretch when uh, Adela was a performer. She's a tremendous lip sync artist and I've was enthralled to see her performing many times at different venues in the Mission District during the mid-90s. Well, I think the other kind of very prominent way in which Adela's story has been told is by the boys in Culture Clash, the wonderful comedy trio, which was formerly from San Francisco but now is down in Los Angeles. And in their piece about the Mission District, one of the characters was based on Adela. And if you've ever seen their their Mission District show, you'll know it right away because it's the fabulous character. (laughs) Cartooning. I wanted to touch upon that because actually this isn't anything new to you. You had a a, a comic publication before. In the mid-90s, around 96, 97, I did a zine called Ala Brava, and in it I did kind of prominently place a three-part comic book set in the mission district of that period. So I had done some of it before. Of course, the scale was very different. This was like a little self-published, go to Kinko's, staple it up kind of zine and this is because it was sponsored by these organizations, is actually has a very, very high quality kind of production that they put into it. So it's a nice, heavy book on beautiful, glossy paper, and it weighs a ton. And uh, I was completely thrilled to see the kind of investment they were willing to make in the quality of the productions. Yeah, why don't you touch upon some of the main people and organizations that really helped to put this out? Sure. The original person who approached me about it was at AIDS Project Los Angeles, and it was Bato Hebert, who some people in the Bay Area might know as a former teacher's aide at Horace Mann Middle School, who also taught at the Friends of Photography, uh, also taught a bit at Stanford, and at Proyecto Contra Sida Por Vida as well. So he's taught in a number of different venues. He ended up at AIDS Project Los Angeles in their prevention department, and we began discussing creating a, a graphic novel out of Adela's story, and I was a little scared of it because I knew what an amazing, rich story it was, and I didn't quite know how I'd capture it. Mm-hmm. And he was very encouraging and very supportive, and he shepherded the project through, and which was no mean feat because these are rather conservative times in HIV prevention. So to come out with re- what's really a very 
radical approach to prevention, it's a trick at this time. In the end, both AIDS Project Los Angeles and Gay Men's Health Crisis joined forces to create the Institute for Gay Men's Health, and this book actually ended up being the first project of that institute, and it's a project of the two largest AIDS agencies in the countries coming together to create a national impact in HIV work, and so this project is part of how they'll do that. They'll be distributing 5,000 copies of it through public health channels, most for free nationally and actually internationally as well because it's, it's already been several hundred copies were distributed in Bangkok at the International AIDS Conference in July. Wow. If people are familiar with comics, then they have the kind of a upper echelon of the graphic novel of the comic spectrum. And it's, it's a very beautiful publication. It has a beautiful cover with colors. Inside, it's, uh, it's done on a very shiny white paper. And you're basically just using black ink. Uh, one of the things I was talking to you about earlier was some of the decisions, some of your stylistic decisions that, that you've made, like film noir, for example, the use of just black and white or black and light, dark and light, um, always comes into issues of like moral issues and stuff like this. But inside here, you're definitely using some shading. You're using parts of gray and everything is not black and white. I believe you've allowed the story to breathe and not put some type of moral standard on it. You have opened it up because of your stylistic. Well, I'm glad you like that. And I, I was really excited when I found the right tools for this illustration work. And they're these beautiful Japanese cartooning pens. They're called Copic pens. And they come in 10 shades of gray, ranging from the very palest gray to pure black. And so you have a full grayscale that you can work with and the inks are translucent so you can layer them and get a really rich gradations almost photographic effects sometimes going from pale to medium to rich dark tones and so those pens I thought were really perfect for me because uh, of course you know this is a biographical story and so much of it is in the past and so I, I really was was hoping to sometimes really suggest the sense of old black and white photographs mm -hmm. and in many cases actually work from reference photographs to really capture that sense of aging images or just kind of soft, familiar images. Some of the photos are actually based on actual photos, some very personal to Adela or some that are more public, like Leonard Nilsson's drama of life before birth. How'd you go around selecting photographs? Well, I did do quite a bit of research online, uh, both for kind of historical information uh, like, for instance, when she was talking about her experience of crossing the Caribbean in, in 1980, I went and did considerable online research to find out, well, what was going on in the bigger picture during that time, and are there images from that time? And so I went and searched, and I actually did find some wonderful photographs of Cuban people being processed in Point Trumbo, which is a big kind of fort area in Key West, of boatloads of Marielitos arriving again in Florida and being greeted by soldiers. And so there's some wonderful historic reference photos. The opening image, actually, of the whole story is based on this wonderful photograph from the Cuban Revolution of a triumphant Fidel Castro being driven through the streets of a Cuban city. And you get that sense of the hopefulness of that time. And so, yeah, I use quite a bit of photographic reference material just to give a real kind of sense of history and, and that historical richness of the story. You've been listening to the voice of Jaime Cortez, who is a writer and illustrator of the graphic novel Sexile. Story, I wanted to talk a little bit about the, the actual character of Adela and 
how this represents her voyage. There's a lot of transformation that happens, geological, gender-wise, and also to sexuality, to drug abuse and everything. It's a very honest approach that you've taken inside there. Maybe you just talk a little bit about her various journeys or voyages and where she winds up at. Well, I think that one of the things that's really striking to me, I mean, there's a couple of things. One is that just the amazing power of a historical moment to be caught as an individual within historical moments, whether that was being born at the dawn of the Cuban Revolution, for instance, set into motion, mm -hmm. all of these other things that would eventually happen in her life. And they're all very kind of formative of the character of Adela, whether that was the experience of being in a situation where people didn't have a lot of kind of consumer goods that made them feel kind of luxurious in their life. Mm -hmm. Or the experience of getting to go to boarding school, which was a great opportunity to get to go to a boarding school and to really focus on your schooling. But it's also becomes like this very formative sexual experience because all of a sudden she's this adolescent boy at the time mm -hmm. uh, who was surrounded by a bunch of other adolescent boys. And so all of that becomes very formative. So I think that's one of the things that's really striking to me is how much we can be shaped by the kind of historical moment that we're in. Also at the beginning, what's established within the character is just her sexuality. I mean, just like sexualness, too. Yeah, Adela was, as a child, as a boy, a very sexually precocious creature. In her case, it meant an incredible range of sexual experimentation with animate and inanimate objects of different kinds, whether that was a banana tree or, <laughs> or other kids. And so there was a, a, a tremendous kind of sexual curiosity right from the beginning and a really interesting sense of being entitled to your sexuality, which in some ways culturally was kind of surprising. I think that to feel entitled to your sexuality in that kind of time period was rather unusual in some ways. So then she makes a trip to the U.S. and her identity, a Cuban identity versus this new immigrant to America identity is also mixed up with this transformation that as far as gender mm -hmm. identity is going. There's a lot of stuff that dealing with identity. There certainly is. And one of the interesting things that Adela talks about was that, that for her, she had to leave Cuba because she couldn't become the woman she wanted to become there. Mm -hmm. And so the only way out for her and the way to become the woman she needed to become was to leave and to come to the United States. So aside from whatever kind of political impetus there was, there was that very deeply rooted sense of gender kind of disconnect, mm -hmm. of feeling, I, I'm a woman. I know I look biologically like a man, but I'm, I'm a woman, and I can't become that here, so I need to go where, I, where that can happen. You know, many times when we talk about transgender folks or the community, a lot of times people who are not really directly involved with it, they just kind of see it from the outsider's view. But within this graphic novel here, you start getting a sense of what's inside a person and dealing with those issues and how they arrive at their identity. Is there a passage that maybe that you could talk about that maybe gives a little bit more of a sense of the character of Adela? Sure. One of the things that Adela talks about was being a little boy and looking at her mother's fashion magazines. And her mother had actually spent a bit of time in New York City as a student. And so she was kind of already familiar somewhat with the United States and had told her about it. And it sounded really magical to Adela. And furthermore, she was exposed to uh, fashion magazines that her grandmother and mother had. So this is a passage where she talks about like being this kid who was rather ostracized and mistreated for being very feminine. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. and about escaping into this kind of fantasy, this American fashion magazine fantasy. So uh, I'll read a little passage from that. I was a baby queer and people were so mean. I didn't even understand what I was yet, but the other boys knew. They used the truth like a club and taught me all my dirty names. Pájaro, pervertido, maricón. I escaped and started to read my mother's fashion magazines like Bibles, and I learned all about couture, makeup, and glamour, the fabulous glamour of America. I knew Americans had cars shaped like women, that even farmers or plumbers can buy them, that you could open a can of soda and it was cold, that you could go buy a pill to make your mustache disappear, that they sent a mofo up to the mofo moon, okay? That the country's so big that they have different times in some states, which is strange from little Cuba. That all countries have their stars, but only the USA has star stars. That Eskimos and geishas and pygmies know and want to kiss their feet and their ass if they ever get a chance. This is a big deal when you're a girly boy in a place where people can't remember steak and people aren't supposed to want special things if it's only for themselves. <laughs> and that's the voice of Jaime Cortez, a writer and illustrator of the graphic novel Sexile, about the life of Adela Vasquez. Yes. One of the things is that the illustration inside the book depicts a lot of very graphic sexual things. So it, it may be not be proper material for young people, but roughly what age or what stage do you think that this would be appropriate for? Well, I think that you're right, that it's it's really designed for a more adult audience. I know that if I had read this a- as a teenager, I would have found it really informative, but I don't necessarily think that it's, it's appropriate for a young audience. Uh, so I, I would say that this is designed for adult audiences, and it will be distributed as such through kind of public health channels serving adults, basically. She's a very fascinating, very funny character, and you've managed to narrow down a lot of her humor and her voice inside of the story. What other transformations has she made? Yeah, I'm happy to read another section. Among the many things that Adela has experienced is that of being in the sex industry and simultaneously uh, of incorporating drug use Mm -hmm. into her life. And so this is a passage uh, talking about the experience of being in Los Angeles and at finding an increasing kind of marginalization happening because of her gender and then moving into the underground economy of, of sex work. So this is another kind of passage that kind of gives a sense of a voice. Hoeing has some pretty good benefits. First of all, hoe hours are flexible. You can schedule your tricks around Ricky Lake, Pilates, laundry, teeth cleaning, or whatever your thing is. Some Johns were nice, a few hella sexy. The main thing was the money. Mama figured out the whole menu and prices for everything. Some of my tricks wanted to pay extra for for doing it with no condoms. Hell no. I was a great lay but a lousy hoe. I hated it when they wanted to have dinner first. I'm not trying to date so-and-so. It was so awkward. As a prostitute, I had no sexual freedom. I was a product, a service, an idea, but never a real human being. You know what? It hurt. Some people can deal with hoeing just fine, but it was so painful for me to live like that. Sometimes I'd think, my God, I used to be a math teacher. Some days I felt like the pain was going to swallow me up. I had this pain of being an exile, a transgender, and a sex worker. If I didn't take drugs, I would have been lost or maybe dead. Not pretty, 
but that was the real deal. And that's the voice of Jaime Cortez, whose latest publication, Sexile, it's a bilingual graphic novel that deals with HIV prevention and the history of one particular character, Adela Vasquez. Any last word before we head out here? I would also like to note that our hope is that this is a publication that will be of interest and informative to people both within and beyond the transgender communities. I've shared it now with a number of people and I feel like a lot of different audiences can really enjoy it. And it's a very funny publication from what I've been told. Now, I, I did write it, so I'm biased, but that's what <laughs> they're telling me. So uh, I hope you'll, uh, you'll, you'll take a look at it. All right, so that's going to do it for another installment of Radio 2050. You can listen to past episodes of Radio 2050 wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. We broadcast live every Friday at 8 p.m. on KUCR.org. Thank you for listening.